So friends, this evening, we are closing off our series entitled The Fight Within. It's a series we've been in for the month of October, looking at the internal fights or battles or wars that we all face. We've looked at anxiety and fear. We've looked at control. We've looked at loneliness. And this evening, on a night of celebration, we're going to look at depression. Did you hear that, son? We're talking about depression on a night that we've been promoting as a party. We have a party after service. We have a bounce house outside, and the theme is depression. I don't know how many launch parties and big events and celebrations you've been to where the keynote message was the exact opposite of the feel in the room. As this came up, up, across my desk as I was preparing to write this sermon, I was thinking, I, I don't know if I should preach on depression on the New Horizons launch party. Like, it feels off. It doesn't feel like it's the right fit, like vision. Let's talk about movement. Let's talk about where God is calling us. But then I th thought of two things. The Lord really pressed two things upon my heart, and it's this. One, this is a topic, and this is a message that so many people need to hear because it's a deep struggle for many depression. And secondly, God reminded me that depression and hopelessness is part of the Crossbridge Brickle story and what has led us to this point this evening. And so we're going to be diving into a topic on our celebratory night on depression. Now, I want to make a disclaimer on the front end. When I speak about depression this evening, I'm not speaking about it from a clinical or diagnosed perspective. I am not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not speaking about it from that place. I'm speaking about depression in a more generalized sense of hopelessness, of discouragement that devolves into depression. We've been saying this whole series that the fights within are not simple problems with simple solutions. And if you are here tonight and you are battling depression, you are battling extreme loneliness, and you need some resources or some support of people or finances to come alongside of you to help you find the therapy or the counseling you need or the people to connect with, please let myself or Pastor Johnny know we want to journey with you. We want to support you. We want to give you the resources that you need. This is not, these fights are not simple problems with simple solutions. And so I want you to hear that. So as I said, when I speak about depression this evening, I mean discouragement that is prolonged and devolves into depression or hopelessness. Now, discouragement could be categorized as a loss of confidence or enthusiasm. You have lost confidence in yourself or in something, and it has then drained you of your enthusiasm for life or for whatever opportunity, for work, for a relationship. You can fill in the blank. This is discouragement. And discouragement that is unaddressed or prolonged will devolve into depression. I, it, it's like many of you are feeling this about your college football team. I can't relate, but I understand that it's difficult for many of you, discouragement devolving into depression. I have a lot of people glaring at me right now. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> But I'm speaking about it from this place, this discouragement that is unaddressed and is prolonged and devolves into hopelessness, into depression. I was thinking about it like this. Uh, I love roller coasters. Anyone else here love going on roller coasters? Big, 
not many of you. Okay, for those of us that do, I love it. But for many people, roller coasters are terrifying because primarily the first drop, right? The big drop. And for most, most of us, our lives are kind of lived like this. We have these seasons and these experiences in life where you're going up, you know when you're going up the roller coaster and it's clicking, it's like all the way up to the top. And as you're going up, you have this initial sense of like joy, anticipation. It's a thrill. You don't know what you're gonna experience. You've never been on this ride before and you're excited. You feel that. So much of our life, have, we have these moments in work, in relationships, in a new city, in a new community where there's, it's a thrill, it's a joy, there's anticipation. And then you get to the top, and as you start to go over the top, you know, it's that slow kind of turn. Things start to change for many of us there. For many of us, you're like, I think I made a mistake. And it starts to go slowly, slowly, slowly. This is the discouragement of life where things change, sometimes slowly, but sometimes these new roller coasters, they go straight down really fast. Really quickly, it just starts to drop. And so much of our life is like that. It's a thrill. It's joy. There's anticipation. We're envisioning the future. We're so excited about what's on the horizon. And then something changes. It's one comment. It's one person. It's one interaction. And all of a sudden, we start to tip over the edge. And that discouragement immediately drops into hopelessness and depression. Many of you are in that place right now. Maybe you moved to a new city and it's not what you expected. Maybe a relationship has recently changed. Maybe your work environment has changed. Maybe something happened this past week or past month that has caused the anticipation and the joy and the thrill of living to go into discouragement, descending into despair. You know, despair and depression and hopelessness, they have voices. They have these voices that say things like this to us. I'm not gonna get any better, I won't succeed, I won't find love, I won't fulfill that dream, I'm never gonna feel lovable and wanted, I will always struggle with this, I will always be the same. These are the voices that we hear rolling around in our heads, screaming at times to us that we're, nothing's gonna change, it's always gonna be this way, it's not gonna get better, this is just reality. And some of you are in that place right now. Some of you were recently in that place, or you can remember a time that you heard those voices and you felt that hopelessness and despair. It's something that's common to all of us in different seasons, different times, that there's no way out. There's no change. Our passage this evening is Psalm 42. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have the Crossbridge Brickle app, click on the notes icon, they are there. You can always check the screen for the passage. Psalm 42 is most likely written by King David. Now, I want you to understand that the context in which he writes this psalm. He writes it when he's reigning as king in Jerusalem, and his son, Absalom, rides into Jerusalem with an army. And it's not to help support his father, the reigning anointed king of God has anointed David king. He's reigning. His son comes in not to support him. His son comes in to overthrow him. He rolls into Jerusalem. He overthrows King David who has to flee for his life. And now he's on the run. Can you imagine how that feels? Your son comes to your kingdom to overthrow you and is totally okay if you are killed in the process. Discouragement, 
depression, hopelessness. This is the place in which David is writing this song. Now, if you have your Bible, you'll notice on the top there's a little header that says, to the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. What this means is that this psalm, Psalm 42, is a song. It's a song that the sons of Korah, it's like a musical group, they took David's words and they made it into a song. They took David's depression and his state of hopelessness and they made a contemplative, reflective song. So this is Psalm 42. I want to read verses 1 through 2. Here's what it says. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So at the very beginning, David kind of jumps out at the beginning of this song and he says, God, my soul is yearning for you. It's beautiful. He creates this imagery of like a a deer that has been running and is so thirsty for water and it runs up to a stream. It's panting for water, drinking the water. And David is saying, that's my soul. Like, God, I want to be close to you. I want to consume your goodness and your truth and your mercy. My soul longs for you. And then he transitions into the next verse because this feeling that is yearning in his heart has been brought on by something and it's verse three he says my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long where is your god so remember his son has overthrown him he's running for his life and his son is okay with him being dead And in his depression, in his hopelessness, all of this discouragement that's been prolonged and unaddressed, he's crying day and night, and his tears are speaking to his mind. His tears are saying, where is your God? Would your God allow this? Why would he let this happen? It's your own son, David. I thought you were the anointed king. I thought you were a friend of God. Where is your God? See, his, his, his heart is saying, I'm yearning for you, God, because my mind is saying, where is my God? He's like, God, I feel as if you've been absent. I feel as if you've been removed. Your presence has been far from me. And so because I'm thinking these thoughts, my soul is yearning for you. His mind and his heart are at war. His mind feels as if God has abandoned him, and his heart is yearning for for God's presence, God's nearness. David's life has been turned upside down. It's been changed. It's why he says in verse 5, very famously, it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Why is my soul so cast down? It's the imagery of depression, of hopelessness. Why is my soul, with? there's a turmoil within me. Why has this happened? And we understand the significance and the place, but his mind and his heart are at war. You know, I can remember this season for me here at Crossbridge. We've, we've called this campaign, this kind of launch into the new future, new horizons. And, and really, the reason that that title came to me for this new season in our church is because the future of us having some semblance of permanence, a home for our church, felt like a mirage. 
It didn't feel like there was any horizon at all. We have been praying since January 2016, at least then, probably before, but since Jessica and I came January 2016, we have been praying for almost eight years for God to give us a home, to give us some sense of permanence. And I want to do something really quickly. This is important to me. If you have been here since 2016 or 2017, seven, almost eight years, 2016, 2017, and you have been praying for Crossbridge to have a home and a sense of permanence, will you stand up? If you've been here since 2016, 2017, can we honor those that have been praying for this church? Thank you, guys. Those that have been here this long know this. We've been talking about this and praying about a sense of permanence and home for a long time. And 2016 to 2020, early 2020, was a very hopeful time in the life of our church. There was a lot of growth. There were new initiatives and new programs. There were things happening. We were formulating teams. We, we created a setup and teardown team that's gone through different names. Now it's the foundation team. It's had other names. We've had some of those people that stood up. Justin and Phil were leaders of those teams. We are organizing volunteers to do all the different stuff. We had a lot going on. The church was growing and we were caring for the city. It was a really hopeful time. But there were real pressures and there were real threats. One of the big ones was that we never had any permanent kids space. I mean, our kids have literally had their kids church in every crevice of this church. Like the last stop was maybe to build a balcony up here in the rafters. We erected a yurt outside for a season for them with two air conditioning units. I mean, it was absolutely unbelievable. They were all over the place. We were on a month to month rent the entire time. Talk about no semblance of stability, month-to-month -month rent. We were also really concerned about taxing our volunteers. How, how many of you know that you can never feel at home in a place that you have to set up and tear down? You do not go home at night from work and set up your home and tear it down in the next day. Some of you don't even make your bed. You know, I know. It's okay. It's your home. You can do what you want. But we never felt like this was home because we were always setting up and tearing down everything every single week. And we knew that we really couldn't change anything. It took us, friends, it took us four years, four years for them to let us buy new furniture because the furniture was from the 60s and if you sat in it, you fell to the floor. It took us four years. So there were real pressures and stressors but it was a time of hope. It was a really fun and exciting time in the life of our church. And then we all know that 2020 changed everything for everyone's life. The world changed. Our lives changed. Your work changed. Church changed. We had to go online. We were trying to figure it out. And it was kind of fun. You know, it was kind of crazy at the same time. All of us were in the chat, you know, trying to find cool emojis. How many of you are like, I'm going to find the coolest emoji this week? You know, put it in the chat. How many times you span the heart button on the good part of the service? It was, it was kind of fun, you know. We did online happy hours on Friday. It was like Zoom happy hours. Like, we were all trying everything to stay connected. And then we came back into the church in September of 2020 slow and steady and you know obviously there was all types of restrictions and stuff and things started to change we started to get a feeling at least i did i was getting a feeling like things were changing in the church and that our lack of stability was becoming 
increased. And there was a real threat to us not being here. And then there was a conversation that I had because the pastor that was here for a long time left and then there was an interim pastor that came in and the interim pastor came in and said to me, in fall of 2021, this was the comment, you would be wise to prepare to be kicked out within the next six to eight months. And I was like, really? (laughs) Um, Like, where do we go? And she just said, I just, be wise to be prepared. And so what that initiated was in December of 2021, God was really good to our church in in the year of 2021 financially. And we were able to take the tithe money of December, typically the largest month of the year, and put it into a fund. And here's what we called it. You remember this? The Permanent Space Fund. (laughs) We're like, we're going to need one. We've been praying for this for a long time. And so we were able to do that and kind of have some capital that was able to give us a little bit of movement. And then I got connected by one of our members to a real estate agent and was working with this real estate agent who brought us all of these properties. And for eight months, we were looking at properties in the Brickell downtown and even a little bit outside of Brickell downtown to try to find a space. I saw hundreds of spaces online. I toured 18 of them. Every single space that I toured, when they found out we were a church, they said, you can't rent here. Every single one, except for one. And here's what one of them said. You can rent here, but we have to figure out how we make you not look like a church. And if they find out that you're a church and you're having a service on Sunday, we may have to tell you that, you know, you can't have church anymore and you're still on the hook for the lease. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. And, and the room had like pillars everywhere. It was not, it was not like an auditorium. It would, you would have been, some of you would be right now sitting behind a pillar. And it was 5,000 square feet. And they wanted, it was really affordable. They wanted $55,000 a month. So needless to say, in that season, I felt discouraged. And it was prolonged. And there was nothing on the horizon. And I know many of you felt like that too, that knew what we were facing and what we were praying for and what was happening. And that discouragement led to hopelessness and depression and it just kind of felt like God, like we believe that you've called us here to Brickle and that you have a future for us, but it feels like a mirage. It feels hopeless. And it was all because of one conversation. One conversation changed everything. And it brought us into that season. I mean, I was so discouraged and I was feeling so hopeless because I was like, everything I'm trying is not working. If if some of you know me, you know that if I'm feeling hopeless or I'm feeling depressed, I go into fix-it solution mode. Some of you resonate with that. At one point, this is not a joke, at one point, I created a business plan for an LLC that we could launch So we could rent property and then we could help fund all those massive rent bills and then they would, the landlord wouldn't have to know, but we could bring the church in on Sunday. Like I had business plans I was creating because nothing was happening. And I thought we were going to get kicked out. I was hopeless. Things can change quickly. I, I hope that resonates with you. If you think about the season you're in now or the season that maybe you've been in the past or, you know, certainly you're going to face difficult seasons in the future. It's the reality of life. Sometimes it's one conversation that changes everything. It's one statement that's made. 
It's one encounter at work. It's one opportunity that's removed or adjusted. It's one comment. It's one time you put yourself out there and it backfires on you. One thing can change everything. It can lead us into a season of discouragement and despair. There's a biblical example for this in the person of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God, and he was a mighty prophet of God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we read the following, that Elijah had the hand of the Lord upon him. Now, that is a powerful statement. That means God's power and provision is upon Elijah, and it was evident. Elijah, at one point, ran 15 miles nonstop at lightning speed, and some of you are like, 15 miles is nothing. Hey, for 99% of us in the room, 15 miles is a lot, especially full sprint. He's running, and the hand of the Lord is upon him, and then he goes to battle these prophets of Baal, these false gods. There's 400 of them, and there's this kind of crazy battle that they have between whose God is the most powerful God and God uses Elijah with this altar. He's going to call down fire and the prophets of Baal are not able to do it with their altar. And then Elijah takes his altar and he douses it in water and fire comes from the sky and burns it up and he defeats them and he's riding high. He is the prophet of God. The hand of the Lord is upon him. Everything is going great. The horizon for him is un. Believable. And then everything changes. In 24 hours, we read in chapter 19 that one statement comes to Elijah. Everything is going great, and he hears one statement from the king of Israel's wife. King Ahab, his wife's name is Jezebel. And here's what she says You're going to die, Elijah. She's not happy that he defeated the prophets of Baal. She's not impressed with the Lord's hand upon him. She is not impressed with the 15 miles lightning speed. She wants him dead. And he goes immediately from riding on the mountain of victory into the valley of depression. He is discouraged and his trajectory is like a roller coaster straight down. Straight down. Because of that one comment. You know, our, our, our mind and our heart are connected. They're attached. Our thoughts and our emotions are linked. I want you to think of it like this. Your mind is like the engine, and your heart is like the caboose of a train. So picture a train. Your mind is the engine, it's the driver, and your heart is the caboose. Where your mind goes, what your mind consumes, what your mind thinks, the caboose, the heart, the emotions will follow. So when you are riding high and you are up on the mountain, oftentimes you will find that your emotions are following because of what you think and because of what's ahead of you and because you conceive that everything is great and things are good, so therefore you feel good. But when your mind descends into hopelessness and despair and discouragement because of one statement, one comment, one change, one adjustment, all of a sudden your emotions are following with you. Your mind and your heart are connected. They are linked. Here's an example. One of the great, uh, one of the great triggers for discouragement and for many leading to depression is financial stress. 
Financial stress is a very difficult thing. We all know it. We've all felt it. And when you're in a financial situation where nothing you can do can change the stress that you feel, no amount of budgeting, that the only way that you can kind of alleviate is if things change at work or you get a second job, and some of you are feeling that right now, and you're looking for your side hustle online, you're trying to figure out other ways to get additional income. It's a, it's a stressor. And it can lead you to feeling discouraged and eventually into hopelessness and into despair. Where your mind goes, when you don't see a way out, you don't see a way to change, you don't see a way to adjust, your emotions will follow. Now, if you're in that place and your boss calls you into his office and you sit down with your boss in the office and your boss says, hey, listen, I have noticed this past year how hard you work and how much effort you put into the company and how loyal you are and you're a person of integrity and all of these things have been noticed and I want to tell you that we're going to give you a $25,000 bonus this year, and next year your pay is going to be 20% increase. Do you think your emotions around your financial stress and hopelessness will change? Yes. Because there's new information in your mind. Because now things are different. You conceive and feel things differently. What your mind thinks, your heart will follow. We see that in Scripture, actually. We see Philippians 4, 7, it says this, the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of Christ will guard not only your heart, but your mind. In Romans 12, 2, it says, the way that you are transformed is by how? The renewing of your mind. You are transformed by renewing your mind. All throughout scripture, we are encouraged to have the mind of Christ. Where your mind goes, your heart will follow. Where your thoughts go, your emotions will follow. And here in the story of Elijah, Jezebel is not only simply a person in his life that leads Elijah to emotional discouragement and, and, and depression and hopelessness. She represents something. She represents anything that will lead you and threaten your mental well-being and stability Someone or something or anything that brings your mind to a place of discouragement, therefore pulling your heart and emotions to a place of depression, is a Jezebel. It's exactly what happens with Elijah. This one statement leads him from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Her statement not only brings him fear for his own life, but it brings him deep discouragement and depression. And he says to God... God, I want to die. And it's stemming from the fact that he feels like, I have done all of this. I've gotten no acknowledgement. The king of Israel and his wife, they want me dead. I thought it would be the exact opposite. I, I don't, this is not worth it. What I'm going through, what I'm experiencing, and what I'm hearing, and what I'm facing, God, is not worth it. He goes into depression. He goes and he sits under a tree all by himself, and he calls out to God, and he says, God, I want to die. His mind has gone down, and his heart has followed. He's depressed. He's hopeless. He says, God, just, I don't, I want, I'm done. I'm done. And it's there when Elijah is done, he's done with it all, that an angel shows up. And an angel shows up to restore Elijah. Elijah is facing depression, and then an angel shows up to restore Elijah, by giving Elijah cake and water. That's my type of angel. Shows up and 
supernaturally feeds him. I don't know why, but it's exactly what he needed. For some reason, that angel giving cake and water to Elijah when he's under the tree and telling God that he wants to die and it's, it, he's done with it all, that ignites something in him. It restores him. It gives him a future hope that he didn't have. It gives him a new perspective on the mission that God has called him to, on who God is and God's presence before him. He's restored. And I want you to notice that the angel shows up for Elijah when Elijah is completely done. He doesn't show up right after the statement. doesn't show up when he starts feeling discouraged and it's going down. He shows up when Elijah sits under a tree and he's there alone with God and he just says, God, I'm done. I'm done. It's there that the angel shows up when he is hopeless and depressed. The same is true for David. It's when David's tears day and night are like food for him and their voices screaming into his head, where is your God? It is there that God meets David. I didn't read the second half of verse 5 when David talks about his soul being downcast. He says this in the second half. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In the midst of David's tears, as he's thinking about what has happened with his son betraying him and wanting him dead, as he is crying out to God that I'm yearning for you, my soul wants more of you, God, but my tears are telling me that, God, you are removed, you are absent. Where is your God? My soul is downcast. I'm feeling hopeless and depressed. It's there, God, that you met me and told me to praise you again, to hope in you, to trust you. God shows up for David in his depression and brings him hope. For Elijah, he receives a future. When I felt there was no way forward for our church, and I, was, I really felt like we're going to have to move, I don't know where, I don't know what we're going to do. When I felt there was no way, God brought Pastor James out of nowhere. A new pastor started here in August of last year. And immediately, I knew that God brought him here, not just for Emmanuel Lutheran, but for us. It was when I felt like we're never going to see any kind of permanence in the life of this church that we were able to sign a 10-year lease. It was when I felt like we're going to be taxing volunteers and just saying thank you every week and hoping they stay, that the sanctuary was able to get remodeled. It was when we felt like, you know, the families in this church are doomed because the kids are in like a 10 by 10 closet in the back. And like, I, I mean, I know you come and you're like, hey, welcome to kids ministry. Your kids are in a closet. They're going to have a great time. It's when I felt like that for years and years that God gave us the school and the playground every single week for the next 10 years. It's when you're done. It's when you're hopeless. It's when you're at the lowest point where you feel like you have, there's nothing else you can do that God shows up and restores you exactly the way that you need to be restored. See, for us as a church, I think God wanted us to take us to that point where we're just like, God, we can't do anything else. Like, we've tried everything. I've thought about creating an LLC. And God's like, let me carry you the rest of the way and let me give you a new future and a new horizon. It wasn't a mirage. I just needed you to walk to the end of your rope because I'm, you're not building this church. I'm building this church. 
And I'm going to show it to you in ways that you never expected. See, God supernaturally restores us when we come before him when we're done, when we have nothing else that we can give. But I want, I want to leave you with this. We don't wait passively. We don't just say, well, God is so faithful and he is so great and he will meet us when we are done and he will show up and we feel hopeless. And when we're discouraged, that devolves into depression, God will show up. Yes, he will, but you don't just wait. You don't stay passive. You do one thing at least. And here's the one thing that Elijah does, and here's the one thing that David does, and it's what you and me need to do in our moments and seasons of depression and despair and discouragement. And that is this, to run to the presence of God. It's the only place that you can go, and it's the only place you should go. And I want to tell you two ways, okay? The first way that you run to the presence of God is by running to the secret place. All of us need to discover our secret place. Where is the place that you go to meet God, to encounter his presence, where you are unhurried, you will not be interrupted, and you can encounter God through meditation, through prayer, through reflection, through journaling, through doing whatever it is that you need to do that God has wired within you to connect with his presence in a fresh and real way. Where is your secret place? We read in scripture about going into the closet. That's a, it doesn't have to be in the closet. It's a place where you can be alone with God, where you connect with him. For me, the way that it works for me is I like to take walks or sit out by the water, and I just listen to worship music. I have a playlist that is like songs that really stir up the Holy Spirit within me where I can encounter the presence of God. And there I just sit and I listen, and then I'll write, and I'll think, and I'll talk, and I'll speak to God like a friend. That's my secret place. What is your secret place? For Elijah, it was sitting under a tree. For David, it was sitting down and opening his notebook and penning a song. All of us have a secret place. You need to discover where yours is. Where is it? Try different things. That you can encounter God in a fresh and unique way. For when you are feeling discouraged and you are despairing and you are depressed, you need to run to your secret place first. And then secondly... You need to run to the sanctuary of God. All throughout scripture, we see the command of God's people to run to the sanctuary of God. See, when we go to the secret place and we encounter God's presence and he gives us his word or an angel supernaturally restores us and God fulfills us with exactly what we need, when that happens, God is always from the secret place restoring us to the sanctuary of God. He is always restoring us back to God's people. It's why Jesus said that when we are gathered together, he's uniquely present. He's not only, he's yes, powerfully present in the secret place, but also in the sanctuary of God, there's nothing like it. We take sacraments in the sanctuary of God. You hear the preached word in the sanctuary of God. You pray as a community in the sanctuary of God. You befriend people that you may never otherwise meet in the sanctuary of God. You worship together and sing together in the sanctuary of God. You cannot replicate this anywhere else. And you are to prioritize it. Just as you prioritize the secret place, you prioritize the sanctuary of God. God's people have been running to the tabernacle and to the temple and now to the church since the beginning. And that means this. You are to prioritize running to the sanctuary of God over, ready, football games, 
over events and over Netflix because you just want to get ready for the next day. I'm not trying to, no shade, I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying. This matters, friends, because here God restores and he meets us supernaturally in ways that are unique to Sunday. You need to run first to the secret place and then see yourself restored running to the sanctuary of God. These are the two most important places for you to run when you are in seasons of discouragement and despair and depression, when you are feeling hopeless. But not only in those seasons, but all seasons. You see, I want to encourage you with this. New Horizons is not a campaign to raise funds. It's not. That's a necessary need. But it's not a campaign for that. It's a campaign for us together to believe that God is restoring our heart and our mind and our faith to the new horizons that he has set for us. And that we are to run after it together. That we are to believe in faith what he has. That we are to find our place and what he's calling us into. That we are to be restored and be fueled with new hope for what is before us because God really has met us with his angels in supernatural ways by bringing us to this night and many nights going forward. And so I want to ask you to find your place in that, in this new horizon, to make it a priority, to be here, to connect in community, to engage in the way that God has called you to, because you matter here. We will move, ready? We will move at the speed of our communal commitment to what God has planned for us. We will move at the speed of our communal commitment to one another and to the new horizons that he has for us. It cannot be led by a few. It needs to be led by all of us together. This is your church. And where God is calling us, he's calling you to give vision, to give words, to give encouragement, to give prayer, to give whatever it is to where he's calling us to go so that as we step into this season of hope, we can celebrate his faithfulness. And in future seasons, when we may face discouragement, we can be reminded that we're to run to the secret place first and then we run to the sanctuary of God together to be restored by God's faithful hand and his presence. Amen.